All right, great. Well, Noah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's a treat for me to get a younger, energetic guy who's done everything that you've done in your career on. So it's really great to have you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited about the chat. All right, cool. We'll definitely, um, you know, post your a link to your LinkedIn profile on the video somewhere. Kyler will, will take care of that. And um, where are you in the world right now? So I'm in Dallas, Texas right now. I'm in uh, our variable office in the west end of downtown. Okay, so you guys are in, in the office now. You've returned to the office since uh, the COVID sort of semi-reopening? Yeah, yeah. We have the, um, <clears throat> you know, we had, a, we had a lot of our team out remote for a couple months and um, we came back and kind of had a in and out moment, um, you know, while the, there was kind of a spike there for a bit. But now the cases are actually falling pretty steadily here in Dallas. So uh, okay. we're all back in. So everyone came back in. Did you have anyone that um, that's, was sort of resisting coming back in? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, there were some, there was a little few sort of mixed opinions there. Um, and, and we took it case by case. You know, it's it's a very... It's a very personal, um, personal decision to kind of, you know, figure out, hey, you know, I, this is where my comfort level lies. And so we, we took it case by case. Some people took a little longer to come back. Some people stayed remote, um, different, you know, situations that live with older folks. And um, so we just kind of, again, took it case by case basis. And um, now, now we're, we're pretty much all back. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, we're kind of doing the same thing, but we have a, a big majority that, are, that have not come back yet. So yeah. I think out of about 40 employees, I think we have maybe seven that have come back, including yeah. the two owners. Ah. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange times. Um, you know, it's, it's, COVID has uh, definitely penetrated everywhere. And, um, you know, um, I, mixed, I have mixed feelings about masks and, and all of that, but uh, I do respect everyone's perspective on it. You know, everybody has different, um, you know, fears and concerns and, and situations. I mean, uh, older folks are, are more susceptible than, than younger folks are. And, um, you know, some, some places are more hotspots than others. And you got to factor all that in. How do you feel about the effectiveness of remote workers versus, um, you know, in-house 40, 50 people under the same roof? Sure. As opposed to scattered all over. Let's just keep it to North America. So as opposed to scattered all over North America. Yeah, it's... That's a good question. Um, you know, in my prior company, uh, TouchTap, so I, I had a mobile development agency before Variable and um, my prior company, we we're all fully remote across North America, essentially. Um, so I, I definitely believe that remote workers can be effective, that we have all the tools nowadays to make remote workers effective. I mean, you know, um, we all work in office here at Variable, but we're on Slack 24 seven. You know, we've got, we've got all kinds of tools that really help us with our online workflow and things like that. Um, so I think, I think remote workers can be effective. I think when, when remote workers are the most effective, at least I've seen this at Variable, has been when the team culture is sort of in place and um, bonding the team together really strong. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in front of someone to know how they're going to react or what they're saying um, in a Slack message or in an email if you know that person, right? If you have done 
time with that person, you know, essentially either in the office or in certain different ways in remote as well. So I think team culture is what really makes things uh, fast. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and if someone is a good worker and a good collaborator, um, they'll find a way to succeed remotely. Because let's right. face it, we were all forced into this remote uh, situation. So we had no choice but to see if it's going to work. I, I'm very pleased, actually, with, with the results. I was so anti-remote for a decade. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it made me realize that, you know what, if someone's not good, they're not going to be good in the office or at home, you know, yeah. so it's vice versa, <laughs> vice versa as well. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned variables. So you're the co-founder and CTO. That's right. Yep. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about, about variable? Yeah, absolutely. So variable is an on-demand marketplace for manufacturing labor. So that's a, that's a mouthful. So we're, we're the Uber for the shop floor. If you want to, everybody has an Uber tagline. That's ours. Okay. And, and so uh, we, we provide businesses with the opportunity to have flexible labor capacity. So bring in a, essentially a third labor paradigm as their, um, as their demand rises and falls, they can manage their workforce to meet or uh, meet and, and uh, to meet those demand needs. From a worker standpoint, we provide them the opportunity to create their own schedule, work for different companies, different, uh, different, you know, work opportunities and also get paid daily. So it's a bit of a different scenario um, from a full-time manufacturing, you know, working 30 years in the shop floor, which doesn't really appeal to the younger generation. Mm -hmm. And what kind of shop, like what kind of work are they, is it specific to a, like a machine shop workers? Like, uh, it runs the gamut, honestly. Uh, we, okay. we primarily do a lot of distribution, warehouses, uh, 3PLs, supply chain stuff. Um, we do service manufacturing. Um, we do some final mile uh, work as well, some assembly, um, forklift driving, things, things of that nature. So pretty much anything around the industrial supply chain, um, we, we, will in, um, we have workers that would fit in that scenario. Okay, okay, excellent. So that's interesting because you're in the IT web, web space throughout your career. I was looking at your LinkedIn, obviously in preparation this meeting so it's interesting that you would build something for and succeed in something for you know a completely different industry right so now <laughs> sure. my question is going to be staff augmentation in the web development world because let's face it you know simply php's web development your uh, portfolio is heavy on on technology web development management so a couple of questions. Is something like this applicable to the web development world? So that's number one. How do you, how do you feel about that? Now, like, I know there's a lot of freelance platforms out there that I guess are kind of similar. Mm. Would you find the platforms that are out there for web developers to be similar to what you have, except it's just a different space? Yeah, it, sort of. Um, I, I would say, you know, you comparing, comparing like freelancers or independent contractors for manufacturing, there, there are some definitely similarities in marketplaces built around those types of models, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that um, it's a web development, app development, really just call it software development, period. It, it's a little more specialized than say, you know, um, warehouse work or, or pick, pack and ship, or, um, you know, standing at the end of a conveyor belt packaging material. 
uh, you, you, you need some training, you need some experience. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different. What we focus on is those, um, the non-skilled, I would say non-skilled, low, lower skilled type of opportunity. So you look at a manufacturing operation and you've got your high skilled positions and then you've got your, your work that needs to be done, whether it's like final QA or receiving materials or pick, pack and ship. Um, those things are repeatable tasks, right? You have, you may have your specific ways that you want to do them at your business, but they're, they're pretty much re- repeatable. You don't have to have specific training to do them. Um, and that's a lot of, that's a lot of what we focus on is, okay, we want you hire your full-time people in the uh, more skilled positions. And then we will come in and augment the uh, lower skilled type of stuff. Oh, understood. So I could conceivably show up for work on Monday like through your platform and have maybe 20, 30 minutes of training. And then, then I'm good to go for that day. Type of Absolutely. Thing. I've done those jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I've done those jobs before. Okay. Sure. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in that vein now, so let's, let's pivot to when you were, when you were a software development uh, leader, manager, and I'm sure even when you, when you built a variable, when you are faced with, the uh, necessity to augment your staff. So you need to staff on pretty quick. You're looking at the horizon. You're saying, you know what? I'm not going to make this, this timeline. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You have to make it. I need to add, you know, four, three or four developers, you know, and assist admin or, or let's just stick it to developers. You need to add three PHP developers. Mm-hmm. What is your process or what was your process? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, staffing up. Were you looking at, uh, full-time employees? Were you looking at uh, going on the freelance, the popular freelance websites? Were you looking at hiring a company? What was your, how was your decision made? And then I'm going to ask you, you know, what was your process to find the right uh, people? Sure, sure. I answer both those those questions, and I don't think I did it. I don't think I did it very effectively. So I can definitely. Um, oh, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, at variable, it's always been full time. Um, we, we've always really focused on bringing in a team, building an engineering team because our tech is our product and we really want people to come in and own it. Um, so that's been our, our, our goal from, from day one. But at TouchTap, I would ramp up and ramp down workforce um, all the time. Um, right. and, and, and what I did, what, what I sort of chose to do at, at that time was to try to bring in individuals. Uh, I try to find individuals, maybe through LinkedIn, through net, my own networking, through my own network, um, bring in mobile developers, web developers, things like that, um, and sort of give them a try. What I, uh, what on a I, salary or a, like a contract uh, basis? Like, con- contract basis, yeah. Contract basis, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody on TouchTap, at, at TouchTap, I'd say excluding a couple of people, were all contract. Okay. Um, so it was all sort of project-based. It was ramped up based on the, the work uh, the work pipeline that we had Mm -hmm. um and what i figured out it was uh after the fact 2020 hindsight uh it was really ineffective um going and searching you know for individual people took a long time uh there's a lot of risk um there was a lot of risk associated with that it could have been it could have gone good could have gone bad a lot of times it went bad and then i just wasted time and and money and effort um, so if I could go back and, and do that, I would look for sort of a maybe white label third party agency or group kind of, kind of like simply PHP and, and partner with them. Um, maybe, you know, take on a project and get to know each other a little bit, but I would go back and, and try to find that 
partner to be, you know, tied at the hip with to be able to ramp up and ramp down as needed. Because at the end of the day, it would have helped both. It would have helped my agency and would have helped the other partner I would have partnered with too. So, um, yeah, I, I was, it was very ineffective the way I was going about it. And I learned a lot from it, but <laughs> if I could yeah, go I, back, I, I'd do it differently. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. I, I can see it if you were trying to hire one resource um, to, you can grab just an individual on a contract basis. But yeah, when there's, when there's more than one, I could see it being, uh, being difficult. Yeah. Um, but when you ramped up at, at TouchTap, um, did you have, did you have a lot of time to prepare for that ramp up or was it just basically hey Monday morning, someone looked over everything on the weekend <laughs> came in Monday and said, this is not good. We need to hire. Like how was, how was that process? It was, it was a scramble. Yeah, it was, was a scramble. Okay. Yeah, it was like, okay, we got this new project. We're excited about it. Holy crap, we don't have anybody to do it. Let's go find some people. Uh, it you know, was really you stressful. Know it's, it's you know, it's funny. It's like that's basically our clients are are pretty mm -hmm. much like that, and it's always, you know, hey, I, you know, I found you on Google, I found you on LinkedIn, whatever. And mm -hmm. after the conversation, I'm like, okay, when do you envision this starting? soon as possible right <laughs> i'm like wow okay and it's pretty much like 80 percent of, of the time it's like that right absolutely yeah. I, I suspect so you know they you get a project and you well i mean when you got to ramp up you got to ramp up then you don't necessarily foresee the demand spike right um you can forecast all you want but basically basically forecasts forecasts are averages right yeah and so you know you forecast all you all you want but when that demand spikes you're like i gotta go i need people i need process i need you know requirements and i gotta go build this thing and uh, that makes yeah. sense that most of your clients that come to you are like that yeah yeah it's 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 really interesting it's rare that we have someone call and say okay i'll get back to you in a month or i'll get back mm -hmm. in two months it's always something that's you know hot um that's why we staff up the way we do often we might have an extra one or two um employees that are basically just on the bench learning giving back to some nonprofit until we get that call when the person's ready yeah but it's just the nature of the beast right absolutely i think it's also again going back to a company versus a group of freelancers it's also great to be able to speak to ownership of that company or management of that company you know on a weekly basis and say hey you know i'm happy with this guy i'm not happy with that guy maybe let's rotate that guy out type of thing Mm -hmm. and it's so seamless and easy that way I find absolutely yeah no that that makes a ton of sense that would have that would have been really useful um it, you know having a partner like you guys early on um instead of cherry picking the people and then having to let go and then being sort of back at the scramble yeah it's it, it's tough and and a lot of times uh, unfortunately it's a nature of the beast you have people that just disappear you know they can't find them and it's it's yeah it, it's it's hard i'm sure you have a lot of uh, a lot of stories <laughs> <laughs> yes but, uh, yeah it's very interesting did you ever use a company or or are you are you kind of looking back in hindsight and saying okay that's what i would Primarily hindsight. There was a couple of smaller agencies that were that were like uh, that were my size, maybe two, three people. Um, you know, mostly mine were. I think that when we were max capacity, we were about fifteen contractors, um, but not 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 huge, and it was in and out. But there were some other companies that we worked with that were a bit smaller that we did partner with longer term, um, and that really sort of proved what we're talking about. You know, this an agency rather than a uh, you know singular person that. Um, you're connecting with. Yeah, excellent, excellent. 
I always ask um, CTOs and, and, and people of your stature how, what the process is for finding that company is. And also, what was your process for finding the individual? Because, you know, we have in our viewership, we have a lot of individuals that are trying to make sure they're visible for people like you. And there's also companies like me that are always wanting to be visible to people like you. So can you give me first go over the individuals? Like what was your process for hiring an individual? And then the same thing for a company. Yes. Yeah, sure. So the individuals, I think, is the is the easier one, really. I mean, there was the scramble. I would look at LinkedIn a lot. I would network. I would talk to other developers and see who they knew, um, and I would try to be doing that all the time, um, so that I would have you know resumes in my back pocket if I needed to to try to reach out. Sometimes it didn't didn't work out that way, um, and so basically filtering the individuals to see if they were uh, the right type of person. I, I would do an onboarding sort of project that um, they would come in and do some coding, some very small, small coding project kind of thing. Um, just to sh- prove wow. that they weren't lying about their, uh, their skills. <laughs> okay. So you would actually have them uh, code something that like, I don't know, would take a day or something like that. Like an eight hour. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it would be take home. It wouldn't be something where I'd be, I'd be grilling them, watching them on a zoom call or something, you know? Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's so cool. it, yeah, yeah, and, and and it helped a lot, and I think that was more applicable to the individual uh, scenario. But I would do that the the project, and then they would come on, and essentially for their first project, I would be sort of um, stay close with them on the work that they were doing, and just uh-huh. make sure that they were measuring up. So it's kind of like sort of trial by fire, and I think that I think that made sense from an individual standpoint. But yeah. when I looked for when I looked for an agency, I looked for um, to work with. I looked for more like, okay, what are what work have they done? What's their portfolio? Um, what does that look like? Um, you know, what type of people are they working with? Do they have a specific industry niche, or are they pretty broad? Um, I looked at you know if there's any sort of like trust pilot ratings or any sort of marketplaces out there with ratings. Um, definitely would ask around if I knew anybody that knew the agency that I was looking at and be like, hey, have you worked with them before? Or, okay. you know, try to reach out to people that they had worked with before. Um, and then I tried to get on these with my agency a couple, or a handful of times, but looking at the, you know, some people will post the, you know, top 10, you know, software development agencies of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. You know, those articles that different, uh, mediums will will post. I would look at those too, and it would kind of give me at least a good starting point. Really, you actually look at those top <laughs> companies. You know they're paying to be there, right? I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That is I know. interesting. That is yeah, that's good. That's good. That's interesting because I always get those emails, and they're saying, "Hey, would you like to be a part of the top ten PHP developers in North America?" And I'm like, "Of course, right? I think we are." <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, okay, here are our rates. And it's like, you know, 1500 bucks and a thousand. I'm like, okay, no, there's no credibility there. But right. I guess it, it, it works, you know? Like, you know, I always like companies that advertise, right? Because they're, right. they're advertising and they're spending the money. So they, I'm assuming they're doing business at least, right? Right. Um, That's right. (laughs) And you did. I mean, they do. I totally know that they're paid, um, but they do get your attention. I mean, when you, when people, people Google the top, you know, app developers or top mobile developer, top agencies or whatever, that's what pops up. Yeah. That's, that's very, very interesting. Okay. And uh, so that's good. Yeah. I love, I love uh, back to the individual. I love 
getting the person in, whether it's remotely or, or physically, and making sure that they can code, because you don't want to waste their time either. Right? Mm. Last thing you want to do, and, and a lot of times when we hire people, they're actually leaving jobs that they have. So they're like, sure. okay, you're hired, okay, I'm going to give my two weeks notice. So you want to make sure that you know they're actually going to be compatible with you. We like doing that too. We get them to do, uh, you know, set up their environment, uh, mm-hmm. do do a couple of tasks in an, either a current project or or a, or a fake project. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's really really solid. And for the companies, yeah. So you go, you get, you look at the, the reviews. Obviously, mm-hmm. you look at what they've done. Okay, so you look at the types of projects they've done. That's right. Yeah, interesting. But have you ever been sold by a really good salesman and it turns out that the company can't deliver anything? <laughs> I'm sure that I have. Uh, I'm trying. Too, right? <laughs> oh, totally, totally. I mean, there's some really good salespeople out there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think probably more. You know, some overseas smaller companies mm. that I've worked with before um, on a very small small-term project. Um, uh, I think I, I've probably been burned more by that. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. That's and, a whole, oof, it's a whole other thing. Other podcast <laughs> about the offshore. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're in New York and everything's getting... Uh, Right. <laughs> different, different model, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure that I have, I, 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 maybe I've buried those memories on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that's been going on. So we're in our 10th year business and it's a thing that's been going on, you know, ever since I've been around um, the, the business and it's the, you know, the, the sign in, in New York or California or Montreal, Toronto, and they're representing like they're a North American company, but they're just shipping it off and making a margin, shipping it off to India or, or Eastern Europe. And it never ends well. Like I, no. I talk to people on a weekly basis that got tripped up that way and they try to get us to save them, which most of the time we can. It's, yeah. um, it's really interesting. I find to speak to what you said, I think when I speak to someone who's a prospective client, and they might, let's say they want one or two or three developers. In the end, they need, to, you know, before we, we go forward, they need to speak to those developers. In my opinion, it's super important because mm-hmm. you need, I can sell you on price, location. I've been selling this for 10 years, so I know everything <laughs> to say. I, yeah. I, know, I know exactly <laughs> what to say to you. But in the end, it's whoever is in that seat, programming is, is what matters, you know? So uh, I think that's super important too. Absolutely. Because I mean, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, right? There's a little bit of a culture fit that you want to make sure is there, right? Because yeah. there's, you know, the, what's the, the, the term speed of trust, right? If, if someone's going to fit in the culture, they're going to fit in with how your team works and there's going to be trust there and you can move quickly and everybody wants to move quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Communication too, you know, like mm-hmm. you want to be in a meeting four or five people and everyone's communication is, is on the same type of same type of level spirit it's, it's super important that's right so let, let's let's talk about code story code story is interesting to me uh, on a couple levels because i know you so code story is is a podcast that you do and mm-hmm. correct me if i'm wrong saying you you're you basically specialize in in engaging and speaking with uh co-founders uh, startup partners uh can you talk to me a little bit and I have like a magic question after you explain the story a bit to me. <laughs> all right. I'm looking forward to the magic question. Uh, <laughs> it's one I almost ask all the time to people like you. So. 
<laughs> cool. Uh, so code story. Yep. Yeah. So I, what I'm doing with code story is I'm interviewing CTOs, CEOs, basically tech, tech visionaries, right? About their human story in building world changing products, right? Disruptive products. So, you know, if I interview a carpenter, he's going to tell me about his hammer, right? And his nails, right? So I interview tech folks and they tell me about the frameworks they use to build software. So it's a tech podcast. It's a startup podcast, but the goal of it is to, to surface those human stories from the tech people about what they went through to build a product. Like, Oh yeah, I built my MVP and it was ugly and it was terrible. And you know, like we were embarrassed to release it. And then I, you know, I hired the team and I hired, you know, 10 people and three of them worked out and I had to fire seven of them, you know, and, and like all of the, the, the nitty gritty startup stories that people, you don't really hear about as much. Um, so, but they more go the business, so more the person who went through those business stories. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. from the, from the tech side. So we want to, we want to surface the tech bits of oh, yeah. how you're, how you're using the hammers to, to build the house. Right. So, you know, we'll talk about tech to scale. We'll talk about choosing technology, technical debt and things like that, but not from the standpoint of like, we're going to dissect the ones and zeros. It's more about this is the tool that I used and this is why I went that route. And this is where I was happy with that decision. And this is where that really bit me in the butt later. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more about, it's more about from that seat and that perspective and, and as a, as a human tech builder. So that's what code story is. When, when you talk to them uh, technology wise, and you just, you just said something that kind of piqued my interest and you said, this is the, hammer I use and this is why I chose this type of hammer. So that, that'll lead me to a question. What do you think drives people to choose a certain programming language and, and what should drive them? So basically, if you have a startup, um, now you have this, this experience talking to all, the, all these people, um, did they make a mistake when they chose a programming language um, or what drove them to chose, choose that programming language? And what should they take into account when they do choose a programming language? That's a lot yeah. of questions, but I think you know what I mean, right? Oh, totally, totally. Okay. I, I'm, I'm totally tracking with you. Um, okay. You know, there's, there's lots of different factors that go into that decision. Um, I've found um, being one of the tech founders and also interviewing tech founders, um, you know, there's the kind of traditional look at it, uh, right? Which is two things, right? Do you know it? right? Uh, is, does, is it what you know, so you can go build something quickly? Um, or is the other thing that I hear often is like, it's the right language, right? It's got the right tool set. It's got the right frameworks. It's stable. It's supported, um, things of that nature. So those, those sort of two things really go into it. Um, when people are choosing a language, but there's a, there's a third element that I see sort of surfacing as technology for scalability and containerization and, um, things like that come more to the surface is you can sort of choose the right language to do a piece of what you're trying to do um, and deploy it. Uh, so, you know, if I want to write something kind of heavy data intensive, um, I can deploy a container that's written in Python, right? Mm-hmm. Or I can, you know, if I want to do something that's, um, you know, specific to, you know, doing some other sort of technical task, right? That's, that's written a language that's written for a specific thing. I can, build it, put it in a container and I can deploy it wherever I want. So the language becomes less important or I won't even say less important, but it's more important about what it's actually functioning for. Um, so I think those three things, like how does it fit into 
you know, the piece of the platform and then also traditionally like, you know, uh, do I know it? Do, do enough people know it? Um, will it be easy to hire for, you know? Okay. Um, and then does it, does it meet the need? Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. What you said at the end there are, are there people around that know it? Uh, right. Are you going to be able to hire programmers that know it in your area or easily accessible? Is it some, you know, margins programming language that there's mm -hmm. not going to be programmers around and you only realize that after, Right. Right. Advice is so huge. Like, yeah, of course, if you are um, a startup founder or co-founder that happens to be a programmer, it kind of, it's a no brainer, right? You go with what you know. Sure. If you're not, if you're just, you know, someone who has a great idea and you don't know how programming works, you got to get the, you have to get the right advice. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think yeah. that's, that's totally right on. Okay. So, the question I love to ask people like yourself is what is your, what would be your best advice for startups? Um, it doesn't have to be one, two, three things. It could be one thing, it could be three things, five, whatever. But if I'm a startup and I'm just starting my startup journey and I come across this, this podcast, what's the best advice you wish that person will take from you? And it could be more than one thing. But. Sure. I, you know, I, I think I could boil it down to one. There's lots of things I would say, but uh, there's one thing that I can say for myself and for all the people that I've interviewed that have come out of the interviews. And it's, it's sort of mixed into a couple of phrases. It's uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to steal Nike's trademark, but just do it uh, like do it um, and do it quickly. <laughs> so do it and do it quickly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think people in that the do it and do it quickly thing kind of translates to a couple of things. I, I think um, doing it, it's like you can get caught up in analysis paralysis of trying to perfect and trying to build the perfectly engineered solution or the perfectly designed solution. Um, when really you're going to get it out there and you're going to learn a lot more from it being out in the wild um, than you are from it being in your hands, being perfected. So do it and then do it as fast as you can because probably someone else is doing it right next to you in the office, right next to you. Yeah, <laughs> and you're, yeah, in a, you're, you're in a race, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so you got to get it out there. You got to get out there quick. Um, and so that's, that would be the thing I would say. And, and, and it's part of not being afraid to do it either. Just like there's, mm -hmm. there's so much, re so many resources out there nowadays. Like you can get your hands on so much, so much more these days that you could in the past. Uh, go grab a hold of those resources and just go try it. You know, you're going to, you're going to learn a ton. I, I've had a bunch of failed stuff that I've done on the side too, um, that I learned way more from than the successes. Uh, and the successes were there because of all the failed stuff. So anyway, just go do it. Yeah, that's great advice because I think it also harkens a little bit to, you know, you've got this idea that has 20 moving parts and it's, it's complex. And I, I often say, can, and, and I love MVPs. I love them not only because they, they, they help people go for financing. It has nothing to do with financing. It just lets people really laser focus on, okay, what are the, what are the things? Okay, there's 20 very complex things, but what are the most important that I can just get at the market? And I guess that's the just do it sort of genre, right? It's like get out an MVP, get people to start using it, get some mm -hmm. feedback about it. Because what you think in the planning phase, those 20 things, you'll realize once it's launched that those, those 20 things don't even make sense. Maybe 
10 of them do, but the other 10 that you spent time and money developing don't mean anything. Exactly. So exactly. what do you think of the MVP uh, process? Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like it's super important that a startup should always have an MVP? I, I, I that's a great question. Um, I, I do for the most part. Um, you know, and I think until recently I would have said yes, no matter what you need an MVP, you need to get out there. But there, I, I've interviewed a couple of people here recently. In fact, um, one really recently, uh, Yoshi Yokokawa from Alpaca Markets. He, he and his team are building essentially the, um, the stripe of financial trading, if that makes sense. So like an API for financial trading. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are some of those out there, but there's not one that's trying to be the infrastructure for that. And that's what his goal is. And, and he, he really opened my eyes to a different way of thinking there because he said, you know, our MVP um, was, was basically non-existent. It was either it works or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and they had to get it to where um, their solution had to be registered as a broker. They had to go through all of this, you know, XYZ stuff to get, to get their solution, even be able to work. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, there, I think there are situations where an MVP, um, you know, really just has to be the solution, you know, and there's a, I think there's another guy interviewed, his name's Peter Boss. He works for, or, or started a company called Igo and in AI, like you kind of, you can have an MVP, but you don't really want to put it out there until you've done some R and D on it and you can really make it into a commercial product. Um, which I think his team took five years to do that. Uh, so there's, there's certain, certain instances where the MVP idea still applies, but doesn't, doesn't exactly apply the way we're talking about it. But I'd say for the majority, you get your solution out there, especially if it's a consumer solution or a B2B solution and let the people tell you what you, what they want you to do next. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, yeah. It also makes you, I, I find it makes uh, startup founders uh, focused. They, they, mm-hmm. they can be more narrow minded and, and faster, be developed yeah. faster, get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. So Noah, there was uh, when I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, there was there was something that you did uh, part of your volunteer experience, which is great, by the way. I love I love seeing volunteer experience on uh, on LinkedIn profiles. In early 2020, uh, before COVID, obviously you spoke at Texas A&M, mm-hmm. and so you were a guest speaker at Texas A&M. And one of the topics that you covered was how to build the right team for your startup. I don't, I don't know if people realize how important that is. And for me personally, the, the business that I'm in, uh, in web development, a lot of times we get calls from people that are just, you know, they need to be rescued, they're lost. They, they've just gone down the wrong path. So how to choose the right, um, the right team for your startup and obviously the right technology team. Mm-hmm. That, that comes with like, okay, who you're gonna hire, what programming language are you gonna use? It's so important. Can you give us just a, you know, a quick summary of the answer to that? How do you build the right team for your startup? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I spoke at uh, the Texas A&M Tech Summit. Um, and, and as you said, the topic was uh, how to build your startup team. And I've, I've learned at Variable a, a non-traditional approach, essentially. Um, I took a non-traditional approach to building uh, my team at Variable. Uh, early on, you know, we we came across some some really interesting candidates that are still with our team today. 
um, that had been uh, developing, I'm sorry, learning development at a boot camp. And I'd say prior to um, prior to variable, I was more in a traditional thinking. Uh, you need a computer science degree or a um, you know a computer engineering degree or or, or something of uh, in the pedigree, we'll say that yeah. you know would would tell me that you can do the the role. Um, when I when I started talking to these individuals um, coming out of the boot camp, you know, noticing that they were you know career changing type developers. Um, you know, uh, I, I was interested. I was like, okay, these people seem really sharp. Um, and you mean by you know, career changing developers. So, so for example, um, we've had individuals that were um, you know, teachers for ten years or so, oh, okay. and then yeah, and then and then went to a Dev uh, Dev Mountain boot camp, and then learned the programming, and then came and uh, changed their career, right? Or uh, biomedical okay. research, or recruiting. It could have been all kinds of stuff, right? Um, and and so. Uh, when when we started interviewing these folks, I, I started to notice, you know, wow, these these people are really sharp, um, really smart, um, and they're able to connect with what we're trying to do at Variable in a very different way. Um, and so, uh, we, we we took took some chances on some some early individuals, and it worked out fantastic. Those individuals are still with us today. I, I've hired nice. nine to ten nine to ten people from the boot camp itself. Um, career changing um, programmers, uh, developers, excuse me. And I think actually I, I said programmers and developers on um, subconsciously on purpose um, because uh, I believe that what, what the people that I've hired are developers, they're not programmers, right? I, and I feel like the difference is programmers are going to take some specs and build something. They don't test it. They don't think about the strategy. They don't think about the solution from a user standpoint. Um, whereas developers are there with you to think about and communicate what you're trying to build, not only to the end users, but internally and to our business counterparts and things like that. Um, wow. So the, no, the not, not, no one has ever made that, uh, that comparable between programmers and developers. I'm going to steal that one for you. From you you, you should. I, I stole it from somebody else. So. Oh, man, that is so awesome. Programmer <laughs> yeah. versus developer. That is amazing. I'll have to, I'll send you the article. Um, it's by Eric Sink. Um, and I don't know Eric. I found this article on, on, um, in the Google sphere, right? Okay. But he compares programmers and developers and it's part of our, our tech team manifesto here at variable. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, understanding the strategy and what, what the non-traditional part was like looking at the person and looking at the raw materials that they have, um, mm-hmm. from their life experiences, and then, you know, they're able to do the job, but do they do, are they able to see what we're trying to accomplish? Are they, are they able to, from the raw materials, do they have the grit necessary and the hunger necessary to figure out stuff that they don't know? Um, you know, and that's, that's really where the kind of the, the heart behind building the team, the presentation I gave at the tech summit was looking oh, yeah. at the raw materials of the people. Yeah, it's super important. What, what about, the, the reputation of startups grinding people to the, to the bone type of thing. And you know what, uh, there's no 40 hour week. It's a uh, 80, a hundred hour a week. And it's, uh, is that still, is that still happening or is, was that gone with the nineties type of uh, philosophy? <laughs> it, it's still happening at, at some startups. <laughs> okay. It doesn't, it doesn't happen here. Um, 
And, sure. and I won't say in the early days we didn't work our butt off. Uh, you know, we had a lot of things to fix that weren't working. We had a lot of things to prove and we had a lot of things to make sure that we had a tight core product to stand on. Um, so we, so we worked, we worked a lot and that's, that's part of the early stage startup is getting it, getting it done. Um, but what we truly believe at least at our, with our team culture is, is work-life harmony. And you notice I didn't say work-life balance because I don't think that exists. Um, I think work-life harmony is the important thing that you look for. Um, and, and one of our early investors, Brian Spaley actually communicated that to me is a work-life harmony. If you're, if you have a lot to do, a lot of work to do, you should work a lot. If you don't have a lot of work to do, there may not be a reason to work a lot. Um, you know, and, and figuring out how all that integrates in with your life as part of choosing the right job, as part of choosing, you know, the right things you want in your life. It's all about making that dance fit together. Um, so that's what I think when I think of um, how we do a startup here. Now, I, I will say there are startups out there that, yeah, 100 hour weeks all the time. <laughs> not yeah, not ours. Let me ask you a little quick advice now for a programmer or a developer, because now okay. I know there's two separate things. <laughs> um, it, do they, should they avoid startups, like, or, or if they are going towards a startup because that's where that you know high-paying job might be at that given moment, depending on, on the market they're in? Um, what should they look for? Uh, what should they steer away from um, when considering? becoming an employee of a startup? That's a great question. Um, and you know, I think it depends on the person, really. I think if you're a person that can work in a highly sort of ambiguous environment, um, an, a constantly changing environment um, that, you know, may or may not be eight to five, <laughs> you know, sometimes it might be eight to midnight and the next day it's, you know, 10 to four or something, you know, it, it just depends on what, where the work is needed and you want to be learning different things. I would say a startup is the place for you because, yeah. you know, like you, if you want to get in and learn quickly and do a bunch of fun stuff and, and really interesting things, the startups is the way to go. It, it, if, um, if you're looking for more structure, if you need more structure, if you need a different pace, um, then maybe a bigger company is, is more for you or a bigger, um, you know, corporation is more the speed for you. Neither one of them is wrong or, or better or worse. Um, I've done both and I've gotten really great things out of both. Um, but it's just, they're just different. It's kind of, kind of what you, what it's kind of comes down to what you're looking for. That's, that's great advice. And you know, it's funny. It, uh, most of the times I ask people that, it, that question so far, it's always been a little bit different, and I, and I, I really appreciate I appreciate yours, and uh, no, I appreciate the time that you spent with us today, and I can't wait to see this video, and I can't wait to uh, get it out to our to both our collective listeners and viewers because I think uh, I think there's a lot of value in here, and um, we're like I said, we're gonna we're gonna post your your LinkedIn profile, your contact information in the video. Uh, so if anyone wants to, to reach out to you, uh, it's going to be very easy to do it. Cool. Thanks, Tony. This has been super fun. Enjoy the conversation. Hope to do it again soon. Thank you, Noah. Have a great weekend. All right, you too.
Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money. 